أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وضرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد It's narrated by Sayyidina Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu in one of the hadith narrated not only in the Sihah but also by the great Imam Malik in his Muwatta that whoever amongst you sees an evil let them change it with their hand and if they're not able to let them change it with their speech if they're not able to let them uh, change it with their heart or with their heart. This is a well-known hadith that is familiar amongst the Muslims. It's one of the many treasures that the Rasul left us with. It establishes not only a relationship that Muslims have against munkarat, against detestable acts, but also a hierarchy, a, great, a hierarchy of actions that a person can take so that nobody is left uh, without taking action against such detestable acts. Since the merciless bombardment of innocent civilians and genocide of the citizens of Gaza began, every single talk I've given in this masjid or in any other masjid while I've traveled has been on that topic. We find ourselves unable to do anything with our hands over here. In fact, our political, economic, media, and uh, other types of elites, military, industrial elites, they're basically thumbing their noses at us. In fact, there is a lot of evidence that not only are war crimes being committed on the other side, war crimes are being aided and abetted and committed over here as well in a desperate attempt to somehow quash the people of Gaza and all of this will come out in the wash later but for now the, continue, the killing continues unaided and unabetted and we find ourselves in a situation where all we can do is talk about things. In fact, much of the Muslim world including the regional neighbors of Palestine the masses find themselves unable to do anything useful except for to talk about the situation. And so we don't say that that's completely free of benefit, nor do we say that that's completely abandoning or absconding the duty that every Muslim has, because as we mentioned, this hadith establishes a hierarchy of what a person is supposed to do. They're supposed to change detestable things with their hands if they're not able to, if they cannot, they speak out against it and if they don't, then they are at least obliged to hate it in their heart and that's the weakest of faith. A person is only culpable if they're at some point in that spectrum and they're able to do something more. If they're not able to do something more, then it's not a sin even though it's not an individual sin on the person even though collectively it might be a sin on the uh, ummah or on a part particular unit of the ummah. The point of mentioning all of this is what? is it brings up a very simple precept. A very simple and very practical precept. Which is that 
A person should think globally, but they act what? Locally. Oftentimes we have our head stuck up in the clouds. Thinking about things on a world level. We think about things in terms of votes in the United Nations. Guess what? The General Assembly had a vote. Only four parties voted against a resolution with regards to the sovereignty of Palestine, which is not even something, to be honest with you, I think it's somewhat beside the main point, but at any rate, only four countries voted against it. Our country, Israel, Micronesia, and Nauru. Nauru is essentially a dried up phosphate mine in the middle of the South Pacific that has such a collapsed economy after they ran out of phosphate that for a stint they actually turned their island into a prison detention center for the Australian government. Even that's dried up now. What will it do? It will do absolutely nothing. It's speech. Remember, this hierarchy is there. So we're not saying that, okay, fine, it's good to speak out against evil if you can't do anything else. But if you want to escalate along this continuum, then you hit a block at speech. The only people who are able to escalate anything along this continuum to action. And what is the action? To stop children from being killed. To stop hospitals from being bombed. To stop places of worship from being bombed. When we say Masajid, probably it's gone over the count of 40. Last time I checked, weeks ago, we were already at like 38 Masajid that were leveled within, the, within Gaza and a couple of them in the West Bank inexplicably as well. Now every single church in Gaza has also been, has also been attacked. Staffers, imagine this, the, the, the weaselly behavior people have. Congressional staffers from America, because there are a number of Arab Christians and Arab Christian supporters in America, which is fine. They actually sent their contacts in Israel, the coordinates of the churches of Gaza, and said, please, whatever you bomb, don't bomb these places. What did the Israelis do? They turned around and leveled all those churches or fired at all of those churches through aerial bombardment or placed snipers around all of those churches to the point where sitting members of Congress and staffers in Congress right now have had their own relatives, their blood relatives, killed by Israeli snipers and nobody is going to accuse them of being Hamas militants. We've gotten to this point, nobody can do anything, nobody can do anything other than talk. We have to now refocus our attention on what? On those things that are local that we can do something about. With regards to this situation and with regards to this issue. But by shoring up our capacity, we will then be able to influence in a good way other situations and other issues as well. We cannot forget about where we are right now. One of the things that I brought up was the fact that this state is so invested in war bonds Israeli war bonds, and that it's something that the government openly brags about. Another issue has come up, and it's something very important for our community. I wish to speak about it and be on the record with regards to it. That through emotional blackmail with regards to Gaza, there are people who are trying to not take advantage of our community and make a fool out of it one more time. 
What is emotional blackmail? Emotional blackmail is don't vote for XYZ person because he'll ban Muslims from coming here. Don't vote for XYZ person because he's a racist. Don't vote for XYZ person because she's this and this person is that and this person is like this on one issue, this person is like that on the other issue. And in the wash, what happens practically everybody ends up becoming the same and we get made fools out of. Why? Because we're emotionally manipulated, we're emotionally blackmailed. I am 100% in favor of Muslims putting aside their differences and putting aside their arguments when there are bigger obstacles and there are bigger issues that we have to face, like the killing of children, like the destruction of masajid, like the destruction of hospitals. And the long list that we don't have time of atrocities that are unfolding out in front of our eyes. But here in, in, in... suburban Chicago there is an individual who is trying to shore up support in order to run for Congress and one of the big issues on which he is trying to shore up support in order to run for Congress is I will push for a ceasefire in in, in Palestine I will push for a ceasefire in Gaza like I had mentioned from before the killing of children is a big deal and politics makes odd bedfellows. I personally would be happy to make compromises. I would be happy to make compromises with people in order to stop such an atrocity and such a horrific thing from happening. But this particular individual belongs to a group that has a history with Islam. They originate in the Indian subcontinent. Maybe our Arab brothers and sisters don't know who they are. But those of us who grew up in uh, the Indian subcontinent, in particular in Pakistan, know about them. They self-identify, they call themselves the Ahmadiyya. We don't call them that because Ahmad is the name of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa The founder of their religion is an individual by the name of Mirza Ghulam Ahmad from the village of Qadian in, in, in pre-partition East Punjab. It's part of Punjab, but not the Pakistan part. It's part of the the Indian side of Punjab now. So during the British occupation, this man stood up and he declared himself, he used to debate with Christians, uh, Christian missionaries, but he used to speak a lot in his debate and he used to go too far. So what he would do in his debates, when he would really be thrashing the missionaries, uh, which is not really all that much of an intellectual achievement as far as I can tell, but when he would thrash the missionaries, then he would start speaking ill and cursing Sayyidina Isa salam. The ulama told him, don't do this, this is not right. But he didn't desist. The man, because, mashallah, people who argue and make fight and puff up and make a big spectacle, usually they get more attention than somebody who's doing what they're supposed to be doing or doing something constructive. So he became very famous. At some point or another, he declared himself to be mujtahid mutlaq. He says, I don't have to follow any of the imams in fiqh, I, find, I do my own fiqh. At some point or another, then he said that I am the Imam Mahdi that the Prophet ﷺ said would come before the end of time. Even though he doesn't fit any of the attributes that the Rasul ﷺ described in regards to the Imam Mahdi. Then at some point or another, he claimed that he's a a Nabi, a Prophet, but he's less than the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Then at some point he claimed, not only am I a Nabi, that I am actually Christ's return to earth. Sayyidina Isa will return to this world before the end of time. This is one of the aqaid, the non-negotiable beliefs of Islam. He says, that's me. 
I'm, I'm a reincarnation or I come with the spirit of Christ. And then at some point or another, then he says that I'm beyond any other prophet, including the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. What was his da'wah? What was unique about his message to people? What was unique is what? That the British rule India because of the will of God. So don't fight with them. Don't give them any hard time. Don't give them any trouble. What was unique about his da'wah? He not only considered people who didn't claim that he, or that, who didn't accept his claim for prophethood, and it's false. He considered such people not only to be kafirs, but he used a, 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 a set of words that are essentially curse words while sitting on the member of his place of worship, and he cussed out those people, and he cussed out their lineage, and he used foul language in order to describe them, while emphasizing that these people are not really Muslims. Now, a man from such a cult, he wants to run for Congress, and his entire career is built on what? His entire career is built on appeasing the left wing of a particular party, and thereafter campaigning on being a fighter against Islamophobia while maintaining and while saying. And this is in print. You can see this. He said this in print. He's never issued any retraction or apology for it. He's taken a lot of flack, so he's tried to scrub the internet for it, but he never apologized for it. He said that if you want to know which Muslim is a terrorist, ask them, who considers the Ahmadiyya to be non-Muslims? Whoever says, yes, they're non-Muslims, this person is ISIS, this person is a terrorist. This man would be invited to represent Islam on Fox News and on a number of other news outlets, mainstream news outlets, which, mashallah, most people with common sense, Muslim and non-Muslim, have abandoned by this point. He got a lot of exposure. He ran for Congress from Virginia and he got thrashed. He got destroyed. Now he's in Naperville trying to do the exact same thing again. Why? Because there are more Muslims over here. There is a lawyer who was very regular in attending uh, Jumu'ah over here until relatively recently, just a couple of months ago. Then he moved to another place. He called me. He said, what do I do? The Muslim Bar Association right now is having a, a, a debate whether we should allow this man to fundraise from our community or not. And there are many sectors of the community that are saying we should allow him to fundraise. Look, when a person is a person of bad character, if they see a black man that they don't like, and they want to say something to them, what will they say? What's the one word that they're going to pick? You know what word it is. If they see a woman, and they want to say something bad to her, what's the first word that comes to their, to their tongue? I realize there are some people, perhaps English is not their first language. For those of us who grew up over here, you know exactly what the first word is that they're going to say to them. When you see a Muslim and you want to say something bad to them, what's the first word you say? Terrorist. I look, I get the fact that Palestine is a, an important issue. I get the fact that we should push for a ceasefire. But don't be so naive and so easily manipulated. Don't be so easily manipulated politically, emotionally, etc. That when somebody has already told you what he feels about your community... When somebody is literally saying the exact same thing that the Zionists say about all Muslims when killing them. There's no, they're, they're all terrorists. Meaning what? There's no innocent one amongst them. Khalafan an salaf. The person who believes in any Nabi after the Prophet that person is not a Muslim. 
The person who doesn't believe in any Nabi after the Prophet ﷺ, but says that the person who does is a Muslim, that person is also not a Muslim. This is a very clear-cut issue. And the thing is this, look, oftentimes they say, oh look, we're such a persecuted minority in Pakistan or whatever. What does Pakistan have to do with me and you? We live in Illinois. Neither was your father the Prime Minister of Pakistan, nor was my father the President, nor was your uncle the you know, Governor of Punjab, whatever, it has nothing to do with us. But even then, even then, talking about persecution in another place has nothing to do with the fact that we don't want to vote for you, that you don't represent our interests. This has nothing to do with persecution. What does it have to do? This has to do with our religion. We're not going to sell our religion in order to save our religion. And we're not going to support somebody who's saying the exact same thing as the people who are killing us. Why? Because he claims he wants to stop the people killing us from killing us. This is the same discourse, this is the same talk that justified the pointless war in Afghanistan, the pointless war in Iraq, and pointless overseas expeditions. It's why you and me get our underwear sniffed every time we go to the airport, even though there are actually people taking guns on the planes and they don't catch them, but you and me, we get put to the side because your name is Muhammad and Ahmed and it's on a list. This is ridiculous. This is something completely stupid. We don't need to worry about or talk about or answer for anything that happens in a different country. We don't need to worry about any of those things. All we need to see is that this person is a committed person to this ideology, which sees all of us not only as non-Muslims, but as terrorists. And it's an, object- it's an objective. It's an objective of that religion to eradicate ours. And we say, you know what? It's America. It's free country. I'm not going to burn your house down. You're not going to burn my house down. Whoever tries any of that goes to jail. As far as voting for you, we're not going to vote for you. As far as supporting your campaign, we're not going to support your campaign. And as far as your claims to want to stop the killing of Muslims, we see that you've actually claimed in public much to the contrary. And that's all. This is the politics of it. This is the politics of it. What is the aqidah of it? The aqidah of it is that the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said what? I'm the seal of the prophets. There's no prophet that will come after me. This is the ahad between us and between the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ أَبَا أَحَدٍ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ وَلَكِنْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَخَاتِمَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَخَاتِمَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَخَاتِمَ النَّبِيِّينَ That Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not the father of any of your men. Rather, he's the messenger of Allah and he's the seal of the prophets. There's no prophet that will come after him. Whoever wishes to break that ahad for some sort of political expediency, don't expect on the day of judgment that Allah Ta'ala will accept anything from you. The drunkard amongst you, I give you glad tidings that Allah forgives sins. The fornicator, I give you glad tidings, Allah forgives sins. The person who has destroyed property, I give you glad tidings. Even if you're liable for that property, you will not go to Jahannam forever, even if nobody forgives you. But the person who breaks this, that person, what face will he show the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment and ask for shafa'ah and say, your intercession, Ya Rasulullah. The one thing that he came for, the one thing that he wept, the one reason he saw all of his children die ﷺ in front of his eyes with one exception, the one thing because of which he lost his home, the one thing that because of which he saw his best friends killed, the one thing that disturbed any sort of, any sort of comfort that he could have had in his life. The one thing he used to pray for in tahajjud that night, the one thing that he prayed for in his hajj, the one thing that he prayed for when making tawaf and making sa'i back and forth between Makkah, Mukarramah, Madinah, Munawwara, 
the one thing he exhorted the ummah at every opportunity, that this is the thing, if you hold fast to it, you'll be saved. That one thing you sold it out, and you think you're just going to go to Jannah because you're, you're Pakistani, or because you're Arab, or because you're from this stand or that stand, that's not how it works, brothers and sisters. This is something that we should speak to one another about. We should keep clear in our minds that you're not going to, in order to, you know, in order to save a, 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 you know, like whatever, save a pair of shoes, you're not going to burn your entire house down. There are things that we can do and there are things that we should do instead of being like the person that every year the election comes up, every year some question comes up, every year some decision comes up, every year some calamity comes up, and at the last minute you let other people who have planned all of this from years in advance put a false choice in front of you and blackmail you into it and say, oh, you know, Islam says we should take the, the, the lesser of two evils. Have a plan of your own. Have a man of your own. Have something you support of your own. Have some agenda of your own. And if you don't, at least see through the naked plots of plotters and schemers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us to look, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. It's every Friday I read in the khutbah. People say, why he reads the same khutbah every single week? It's worth contemplating. It's worth remembering every single week. It's the word of Allah ta'ala. اتقوا الله والتنظر نفس ما قدمت لغدين واتقوا الله. إِنَّ اللَّهَ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Fear Allah Ta'ala, oh you believe? Fear Allah Ta'ala, let every, let every soul, look what did it prepare for tomorrow, and fear Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. You're not going to solve anything by, you're not going to solve anything by selling out Islam in order to save Muslims. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gives thabat on the haq, Allah Ta'ala protects from the, protect us from the plots and schemes of people who plot and scheme against us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us basira and vision. It's one thing to see things, it's another thing to have vision. May Allah ta'ala give us vision of how we can see ourselves our way through this murky and dark mess. And firstly, save our iman, save our faith, and then thereafter, better our better our uh, situation in this world and in the hereafter. Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.